I want to open up my message today with um, um, a well-known verse in First Peter, and then I just want to leave that and then come back to it. But it's First Peter chapter two, verse one through five says, "So get rid of all evil behaviour. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy." And all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. You know, it's possible to experience salvation, but not the full experience of salvation. Peter says that if we will just draw from the wells of salvation, if we will just nourish our soul, our spirit, our heart with the word of God, the presence of God, that we will actually step beyond a simple sinner's prayer and a confidence that we're going to heaven. We will step into something in this life that many of us have falsely believed is only reserved for the next life. Um, you know, there's an old saying says, you know, the pie in the sky when you die. And there is a big piece of pie in the sky when we die. I, uh, you know, we will see him. And when we see him, we will be like him. And that's when we will be experiencing the fullness of the transformation of who we are and what he's called us to be. And there is that sense of uh, expectation that there's something great for us to step into when we finally meet him on that day when either the rapture happens or we step from this life into the next. But there's also steak on the plate while you wait. And, you know, we need to know that there is more to be had in the Christian life than many of us are experiencing. And so many of us are settling for far less than what God had designed or purposed for us to have. It says you must, you must crave the pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment, Peter says. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, cry out for this nourishment. Let there be a desperation in our heart for all that God has for us. Let us not just settle for what life just serves up or what the church might just serve up, but cry out for this nourishment. He says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You know, throughout my Christian journey, I have developed a love for the Bible. I, I love the word of God. I believe and I was, I was born again into a church that believed the Bible was the benchmark for all decisions, that it's the inerrant word of God, that um, it doesn't just contain the word of God, it is the word of God. And no, I don't take the Bible literally. I take the literal parts literally, and I take the illustrative parts as illustrations. Um, Jesus told a lot of parables. I don't take the parables literally. I take them as they are intended. Parables are designed to illustrate or highlight or enhance a concept, an idea to, to help us understand what it is God wants us to understand. And so I, 
I, I read the Bible as the Word of God. I read it with an open heart. I read it with anticipation and expectancy that God will speak to me, that God will illuminate to me what I need to know at this point in my journey so that I can be what he's called me to be at this point in my journey and step up to the next level that he has for me while ever I have breath in my lungs. But I've developed especially a love for the Old Testament stories. I, I love the events. I love the history. I love the experiences of God's people. I, I love the different characters and the different personalities that, that God uses and breathes upon. And, and you watch as he takes them on a journey through one experience after another that he might bring out in them all that he's deposited and the plan and purpose that he has destined from the, for them from all eternity. Because God has predestined a destiny for us from all eternity. You know, we, before we were uh, even conceived in our mother's womb, God had mapped out a plan for us. And it was mapped out way back before the earth even began. God knew us before we were conceived in our mother's womb. But I, I love reading about their life experiences and, and especially their relationship with the Lord. I love reading about how God takes different people through circumstances that he has engineered, that he has divinely purposed to, to turn them into warriors of faith overcomers of the storms of life and the challenges of life and the disappointments and the setbacks and the tragedies of life. I, I love because I, I can glean so much from my own journey, from my own experience, from my own, my own wants and shortcomings and challenges. And, and I just love how the hand of God in so many of these stories shapes their character and molds them. But you know, those Bible stories aren't just historical events. They are, they are windows through which you and I can, can look today. We can, we can observe today. We can, they're like filters through which we can see how God relates to people, how God works with people. You see, some people would argue and say, oh, but that's all old covenant. God's different. No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. It's us that changes. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, turn or to the left or the right. In him, there is no shadow of turning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And through those, those examples, those historical accounts of people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and, and, and uh, Moses and Joshua and, and uh, you know, uh, Samuel and Elijah and Elisha and all of these people that, that face... The same challenges that many of us still face today, you can see how God works and relates in and through them. They're windows through which we can understand how God relates and works in and through humanity. You know, one of the first messages I ever preached, in fact, it may have even been the very first message I ever preached, was out of the book of Habakkuk. I love the book of Habakkuk. It's a three-chapter book. He's one of the minor prophets tucked away there in the Old Testament, you know, somewhere towards the end of the Old Testament. And, and sometimes he can be hard to find. You just got to look up in the index or look up in the table of contents to find him because he's only three, three chapters, one and a half pages long. But Habakkuk, 
arrives on the scene. We don't know anything really about his background, where he came from. For many men and women of God, you, you get to know a little bit about where they were born, what their heritage was, what their employment was, and, and how God called them. But for Habakkuk, he just appears. And he, he opens his message with two questions. How long and why? How long will this go on for? How long will you cause me to suffer like this? How long will you allow the circumstances of my life to continue to suck the life out of me, the faith out of me, the courage out of me? And why is this happening to me? I love those those questions because they are a reflection of the questions that so many of us ask in our dilemmas, in our disappointments in our challenges. How long, God, and why? And I, I think one of the first messages I preached was that Habakkuk did not get an answer. All he got was, was two statements. One said, I am doing a thing in the earth that even if I told you, you would not believe it. Try me. Just Try me. I'll try and believe it. Just give me some kind of insight as to why this is happening. But God doesn't. The next thing he says is the just will live by faith. So the only answer he gets is, trust me. Trust me. And, you know, it kind of gives you a glimpse into the fact that there are times where we have to just trust God and suck it up and fight through and keep going and not give in or throw in the towel. But we just keep our eyes on the Lord and we just stay focused because ultimately he is for me. He's not against me. Ultimately, the Bible says he is making me more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. He is developing and molding my life. And I love the story of Habakkuk because it gives hope where there is no hope. He closes his book with, with those famous words where he just, he, 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 chapter two opens with, I will stand on my watch and wait and see what he says to me. And all he says is, I'm doing something that if I told you what it was, you wouldn't believe me. It doesn't even give him a chance to believe him. He just says, I'm not telling you because you won't believe me. So just suck it up, Habakkuk. Just stay the course and keep going. I'm doing something you don't understand. I'm God, you're not. And then he says, the just will live by faith. And he has such an encounter with God and God's presence where he doesn't get an answer because he doesn't need an answer, but he closes his prophecy and then disappears off the scene. You don't hear about Habakkuk anywhere else in the Bible other than the book that bears his name. He closes it with these words, though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the produce of the olive fail and there be no no, fruit. Uh, herd in the stall, though the, the flocks be cut off from the fold. He says, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy, he said, in the God of my salvation. He is my strength, is what he closes his. I, I love that. It's a window into this faith walk that we are called to live. And if you're still struggling with, yeah, but that's Old Testament. Well, the New Testament tells us in the book of Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still calls us to trust him. He still calls us to not live by sight, but by faith and by hanging on to the promises of God and holding on to the declarations of God and pushing through. And God, when you read the Old Testament stories, God in his, in his sovereignty, in his infinite wisdom, uses human grief, human disappointment in 
the pain that so many of his people went through and so many still go through, he uses all of that to bring about a much higher and a much more fulfilling purpose. The grief-stricken cry of Hannah for a child. Remember the story of Hannah? She's barren. It's the opening chapter of 1 Samuel. She's barren, unable to bear children. Her contemporaries are all mothers, all bearing children, all fruitful. But Baron's womb was, Hannah's womb was barren. And she goes year in and year out and cries out to God, God, give me a child. God, open the fruit of my womb. Give me a child that I might not be the odd one out. And then she comes to a point where her cry goes to another level and says, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him to your purpose. Hannah's cry for a son met God's cry for a prophet. Don't miss this. Hannah's cry for a son collided with God's God's cry for a voice on the earth that would declare his purpose and his, his, his plan to take humanity where it needs to go. And, and God moved in that situation because Hannah, Hannah came to a point where she was willing for her dreams and her desires to be in alignment with God's dreams and God's desires. And God says, now I can bring fruitfulness into your life. You know, I love the stories of the Old Testament. You know, the Bible describes each, each of us as living stones. And the interesting thing is, first the natural, then the spiritual. So, you know, we, we understand that principle. Most of us would understand that. First the natural, then the spiritual. The Bible talks about that. And, and I believe today the church, which is made up of, of individuals, you and I, temples of the Holy Spirit, carriers of the presence of God today, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather together, every expression of the local church, regardless of whether we are uh, uniting, Baptist, uh, ACC, uh, whatever we might be around, around the world, we are expressions of the temple of God. And that temple is made up now of people, living stones. And it's interesting the Bible describes us as stones because when the first temple was being built by Solomon back in 1 Kings, in, in verse 17 of 1 Kings chapter 5, uh, at the king's command, we read, they quarried large blocks of high-quality stone and shape them to make the foundation of the temple. Then over in chapter 6, verse 7, and the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Let me tell you something. The challenges of life, my friend, are you being chiseled. They're you being shaped, they're you being stripped bare, they're you being molded, they're you being fashioned. The, the high quality stone that you are that needs to be shaped for divine purpose is being done at the quarry of life. And you know, I think it's significant that there's, it was done in the quarry so that there'd be no sound of hammer or chisel at the temple. There's too much quarreling and division in the church of Jesus Christ today that should not be there. We need to be back in the quarry, the prayer room, in our accountability groups where the Holy Spirit can hammer and chisel and chip away so that we come out of the presence of God more like him into the house of God where we start to fit together. Without the... Agitation, without the irritation, 
without the undermining, without the offences, without... There's so much in this, honestly. He is wanting to shape our lives and he's wanting to, to take us through the fires of circumstances so that he can chisel that off and chip that away and shape that so that it fits just perfectly into the house of God. Our lives are being shaped for kingdom purpose. The prayer room and our accountability groups that we all need, but so many of us don't have. Because, well, it's just me and God. I don't need anybody else. I just need Jesus. You know, that's a total contradiction to what Jesus taught. It sounds spiritual. It sounds noble that, that I, I just need a relationship with God. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I just I believe in God. I trust God. I read my Bible. And I just do life with him and me. Well, that's not what he actually taught. So you're following someone that you're not following because he taught us that he's building his church with living stones where we all fit together and we all function together you know sometimes have you have you ever cried out to god for an answer and not got one more often than not that's my my experience i i've come to believe that one of the reasons why god is often silent is because he's wanting to teach us that according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of, watch this, one another. That's interesting. You think it would say, and individually members of that body. But it doesn't. It says we are individually members of one another. And I think sometimes God is silent when we're in our prayer room because he wants to speak to us horizontally through the one another's. He wants to bring people into our life who have a now word from God for us, who have a now word from God from heaven that will speak directly into our situation. And you know, he is so clever that he will bring people we don't want to hear from. <laughs> Well, I'd like the prophet who's visiting next Sunday to come down from the platform, pick me out of the crowd and give me a thus saith the Lord. I don't want the bloke who drops in and out of church every now and then, whose life's a mess, who's an alcoholic, coming in and just saying what God wants to say. You see, he can speak through an ass. He can speak through a donkey. And sometimes he sees our pride levels to the point where he says, oh, I'm going to tell them what I want them to know, but I'm not going to tell them through who they want to be told through. See, we are, we are living stones being built together, being chipped, being chiseled, being shaped. Being God is silent sometimes because he wants the body to be active. You know, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it's a story of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's the king of Israel, and, and Jehoshaphat is, is a respected king, and suddenly he gets word that the Ammonites, the Moabites, and every other ite in the area had rallied together. And he is told that a mighty, mighty, ferocious army is coming to tear them to bits. That's what Second Chronicles chapter 20 is all about. He gets a messenger. These guys are marching towards you as I speak. They are so numerous in numbers. They've got weapons like you haven't seen before. And the Bible tells us Jehoshaphat feared greatly. 
He then went and inquired of the Lord. Very wise thing to do. I think sometimes if we did more inquiring of the Lord, we'd, we'd fare out a lot better. He inquired of the Lord and he declared a fast and he called the people together and he began to declare into the atmosphere over Israel the promises of God, the destiny that God had told them was theirs. He began to declare into the atmosphere and remind God of all that he had already done for them, bringing them out of Egypt and paving the way, going before them and protecting them and so on. And then he even goes so far as to say, these guys that are marching against us now, God, do you remember that when our people were in the wilderness, you forbade us to destroy them? And now this is how they've rewarded us for that? So this is what's happening. And Jehoshaphat's got the people together. He's saying, God, speak. God, show us what to do. He's waiting for a word from God. And so often we read in those Old Testament stories, and God spoke to Jehoshaphat, and God spoke to Moses, and God said this to Joshua. I, I love those passages, and I think, God, give me a word like that, but that's not what happened. Jehoshaphat is crying out, and then it says in the middle of Second Chronicles chapter 20, that out of the crowd steps Jehael, I think his name was, and the Spirit of God came upon Jehael and said, Jehoshaphat, and all you people of Israel, hear what the word of the Lord is today. Who, who was this guy? He just came out of the crowd. He said, this is what God is saying. Do not be afraid. How, how many of you know, whenever you, you hear God say, don't be afraid, it's because there's good reason to be afraid. This was not some small army coming. But I find it interesting, Jehoshaphat's the king, he's inquiring of the Lord, he's crying out to God, and God does not say, thus saith the Lord Jehoshaphat. He pulls someone out of the crowd who says, this is what the word of the Lord is. You see, this is how we are living stones. We're being shaped and molded and fashioned together, and we've got to, to not forsake the horizontal and just become spiritually focused. We need both, because that's how he's building the church. I need you, you need me. I, I, I am so deceived if I believe I can do my Christian life without being planted in the church. And I know I'm preaching to the converted. That's why you're here today. But there are a lot of people who actually, I don't need to be in church to be a Christian. Well, you don't need to go to church to get saved. You can get saved in the backyard, in the garden shed. You can get saved anywhere. But if you want to be in the purpose of God, we need to be a living stone planted in today's temple, the church that he's building at the gates of hell will not prevail against. So the word of the Lord comes says, do not be afraid. This is what I'm about to do. This is where I'm about to go. This is how I'm about to do this. And, and of course, he, he, he says, the battle is not yours, but the battle is the Lord's. That was the word from heaven. So you don't need to do anything, Jehoshaphat. I just want you to go and get grandstand tickets. And I want you to watch this mighty slaughter of this army without you even raising a finger. Without your warriors raising a finger. Without you even lifting a sword. I want you to sit back and watch. And so the word of the Lord came through this Jehael. I can't pronounce his name properly, but it just comes out of the crowd. And he just brings this word and Jehoshaphat, it, it sits right in his spirit. He confirms it. Everybody feels, yeah, it seems good to us in the Holy Spirit that this is a word from God. And so they, they march out and when they get there, the battle's already over. God brought such confusion into the ranks of that army that they turned on each other. They lost sight of the purpose they had actually come for. They turned on each other and destroyed each other. All they had to do when they lifted a finger was to go down and steal the spoils. And they said there was so much gold and jewelry and, and diamonds and all sorts of goodies on every soldier that had fallen that day. It took them three days to carry the spoils out. 
It wasn't one person doing it. It was a whole army gathering the spoil. It took them three days. And they didn't lift a finger other than walk off with the spoils. You know, go, go figure. But there are times where God says, I want you to do this. There are times where God says, I want you to go. I, I want you to. You know, you, the, the dilemma we often face is, do I fight this or don't I fight this? Do I sit back and let God fight this or do I have to do something? The dilemma, Bill Johnson says, says it really well. He, he says, what I've learned to do is he said, if I'm fighting this and not much is happening, I just sit back and rest. If I'm resting and not much is happening, I need to get off my backside and do something. So I just kind of, whatever works, make it, make it happen. So you see, we are living stones planted in the house and God wants to bring about a functioning house where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are functioning, not just in the corporate gathering, you know, like we used to have where a prophecy in the, you know, it's, it's like it happens in the connect groups. It happens in our accountability groups. It happens as we gather together that someone just says, look, I was praying for you this week and I just felt the Lord say this. You think, God, I've been asking you that for three weeks. Why didn't you tell me? I think it's because he wants us to know that we're a part of a body and we are individually members of one another. And he operates that way. And then there are times he'll just speak. He'll just say something. I've cried out to God for things. Nothing happens. And next minute I get a phone call from Danny Goog or David McCracken or someone like that. And they'll, they'll just say, I was just praying and this is what I felt the Lord's And I'm thinking, God, why didn't you tell me that? Because he's trying to get us to function as a body. In Exodus chapter 17, another army comes against the people of God. This is now winding back the clock. And Moses says to Joshua, I want you to prepare your warriors to go out and fight tomorrow. When you go out and fight, myself, Aaron and her, we're going to climb the mountain and I'm going to raise the staff of God. And when I raise the staff of God, you go into battle. And so he does. He raises the staff of God. Joshua goes into battle and they, they are taking down soldier after soldier after soldier. But Moses' arm gets tired. He drops his arm down and all of a sudden the battle turns. And the enemy starts to prevail. So Moses has to raise his hand again. You know, what, what is that about? That's spooky. Or is it? I think it's a depiction of intercessory prayer. It's a depiction of, of making sure we bring God into the battle every time we fight. Whether he's fighting or whether we're fighting, God is in the process every single time. But we're locking arms together. So you've got the church battling out there on the battlefield while you've got your intercessors locking arms together and praying. And as you're doing that, we are making ground. But as the intercessory prayer drops off, the living stones who are the prayer warriors drop off, then we start to lose ground. We've got to start to function more effectively as the body of Christ. We've got to stop going to church and start being the church. We have to start discovering, God, what is it you have gifted me to do? I need to do that with all my might. I'm going to stop being a pew warmer. I'm going to start rising up and start being that living stone, functioning in the, in the area of ministry that you've called me to function in. Aaron and her were not on the battlefield. They were on the mountaintop interceding for the battle. They were upholding the leader. They were lifting up his arms. And as they lifted up his arms, the battle succeeded. So you think, why, God, why can't you just and blow them all off the planet? Why do we have to even march out and fight? Because he's looking for the body to function as the body. It's the way he's designed it. It's the way he's planned it and purposed it. We have to rise up and become all that he's called us to become.
You know, the Apostle Paul eventually described the reason for the resistance to his work that he so often faced. He'd go into town after town after town and they would oppose him and resist him. And eventually he wrote in the Corinthian letter, he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, demonic entities. You know, we, we need to start to rise up and become all that we are called to become. Don't tackle a spiritual problem with a physical solution. Don't tackle a spiritual problem with a physical solution. You know, even the physical problems of God's people are often fought in the heavenly realms. We've got to start locking arms together. Actually, I just, feel, I just want to stop and pray. Father, I, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would, would descend upon this house in a fresh, fresh way. Lord, I pray that every living stone that is sitting across this auditorium right now would receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I pray right now that you would descend upon every individual temple and you would fill to overflowing, Lord, the, out of their innermost being. I pray there would come rivers of living water so that that living stone would become active, participating in the house of God that they're planted in. Lord, that they might not just come to church to receive, but Lord, they might come to church to give, that we might all say, what? what is it I'm called to contribute? What is it I'm called to add to the house of God? What is my strength? What is my gifting? What is my calling? Lord, that I might become an encourager, that I might become a developer, that I might become someone who rises and strengthens the body of Christ, doesn't just take from the body of Christ, but strengthens it. Lord, I pray today your Holy Spirit would fill every aspect of this church. And Lord, I pray that you'd raise intercessors in the house, those that are prayer warriors, those, Lord, that feel that their, their strength is to stand in the gap and lift up the arms of the teams and the leadership and the, the uh, volunteers that are out there on the front line serving and diligently sowing in, risking and, and, and giving of their soul, their emotion, their spirit. I pray, Lord, that you'd raise intercessors around us. But Lord, I pray that you'd also raise laborers for the harvest that is plentiful, that people would say, I need to step forward and start to reach out and become his hands and his feet. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you'd bring conviction into the hearts of every person in this auditorium, into my heart, into their heart, Lord, that they would sense and feel the calling of God afresh upon their life, raising them. Lord, I pray right now across this auditorium for people to, to step up to our children's ministry. People, Lord, right now that have, have ummed and art about it and struggled with it and they've even at times run from it or balked from it, I pray, Lord, that they would stop and say, here am I, Lord, send me. I pray, Lord, those that are, have a heart for the younger generation, Lord, I pray that they would stop right now and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Father, I pray that you would raise up laborers for the field. You told us, Lord, to pray that way, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray and seek the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. Father, you've also said that if we pray anything according to your will, you hear us. 
And Lord, we know we're praying according to your will because you taught us to pray this way. Father, I pray right now of every pew warmer in this place that a fresh fire would come and a fresh motivation and a fresh stirring to say, I'll find my place and I'll function faithfully in that place. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would speak. You'd breathe on this place in Jesus' name. You'd breathe on this house in Jesus' name. Hover over this place. Lord, we don't want to be a church that motivates people into serving. We want a church full of people with callings on their life. With a call of God that they're doing it as unto the Lord. That they're serving faithfully as unto the Lord. And Father, I pray that people would get a revelation that when we serve you faithfully, we will never outgive your generosity. Enlarge us, I pray. Enlarge the capacity of this house, I pray. Breathe afresh, Lord, on every living stone. Those that are perhaps right now feeling like they're in the quarry, feeling like they're being chipped away and chiseled and almost feeling like if they chisel anymore, I'm going to crack wide open. But Lord, you're such a master builder. You're such a talented and skilled engineer. I, I pray, Lord, right now that fresh faith would rise. And that people would see the circumstances of their life as engineered by you to bring out the best in us. Lord, that we would truly understand that you're doing a work so great that if you were to tell us about it, we would not believe it. Oh, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.